Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry. This is Matt Traub, Senior Editor of Sports Travel, and our guest today is Dan Gavitt, the Senior Vice President of Basketball for the NCAA, as we discuss the organization's plans for this year's NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. But before we begin, this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports event industry. Teams 21 will be held at the Atlantic City Convention Center in Atlantic City, New Jersey from September 27th through 30th, 2021. This year's conference will again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic SportsLink program, an NGB Best Practices seminar, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything we have planned at Teams this year, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. The NCAA tournament is one of the biggest events on the sports calendar each year. March Madness has become part of the spring lexicon with fans cheering on their favorite team from home, sports bars, even from their offices. But the NCAA tournament, like every part of the sports event industry, can be affected by the broader state of the world. Last March, just as conferences were about to start their postseason tournaments ahead of Selection Sunday, the coronavirus began to sweep throughout the United States, forcing the cancellation of the 2020 NCAA tournament. It was a significant financial hit for both the organization as a whole and the broader collegiate sports landscape, as well as for the destinations that were planning to host tens of thousands of fans. This year, the NCAA tournament will be held in a controlled environment centralized in Indianapolis, Indiana, with a majority of the games in Indianapolis at four venues throughout the city, along with early round action hosted at Purdue University and Indiana University. The tournament schedule itself has been shifted slightly from the days it traditionally holds its early round and regional weekends, starting on Thursday, March 18th with the first four, all the way through the championship game on April 5th. The NCAA will allow a limited number of fans to be in attendance in all venues, with all attendees wearing face coverings while physically distanced. Between making sure the teams are able to get to Indianapolis without any players contracting COVID-19, then ensuring the entire event will be held in a safe and healthy fashion, will be a massive undertaking for the NCA. We talked with Dan Gavitt about the tournament's organization with a focus on health and safety, what went into the original November announcement that this year's tournament would be held in a controlled environment, the shifting landscape upon which this season has been held, and what the NCA may be able to take from this year's event and use going forward at future NCA tournaments. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Dan Gavitt, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Matt. Good to be with you. The NCAA announced that it would be going to a controlled environment for the 2021 men's basketball tournament in November. Why did you feel it was important to announce that so early in the season? And why did you feel that Indianapolis was the right choice to be the host? Well, the staff and committee that oversee the tournament uh, spent the entire spring, summer, and early part of the fall observing what was happening across sports and when sports coming back and, and how Leagues uh, were, were achieving that in a, in a safe and, and responsible way. And one of the things that seemed to be the most common denominator, whether it be NBA, WNBA, Major League Baseball, the NHL, was that limiting travel and maybe all the way down to a single or, or two-site model was critically important um, for limiting the risk, for identifying a one entity of a local health department to work with rather than multiple uh, health departments in states and counties that have different policies and protocols in place um, was really probably the only feasible way to do it. 
as we know, you know, in a typical year, we use 14 different sites for the Division One Men's Basketball Championship from first four through the final four. And trying to negotiate and, and agree upon medical standards and protocols in 14 different locations was going to be untenable. So once we came to that realization, and with the impact we knew it would have on the host institutions and cities that were excited to host March Madness as they are every year, we thought it was, A, the fairest thing to do to let them know as far in advance as possible, understanding how disappointing that would be for our, for our hosts. Um, but then, B, start working on, okay, if that's the case, where are we going to do this and, and, and how are we going to accomplish it? You know, getting agreement with the local health officials on the medical protocols that would be important for the safety and, and health uh, and success of the event. What are some of the big differences? Obviously, health and safety is top of the mind for any sports organization putting on a big event. But what be even beyond that are some of the major differences that you've seen over the pet so far in planning a centralized environment for the NCAA tournament this March compared to, like you said, you would be going to 14 different sites all across the country. Well, it, you know, it, it, it obviously makes it a little bit more complicated to have all 68 teams in one location. There are some efficiencies that are achieved, but normally we have uh, in the first rounds, for example, eight different host institutions and venues and in the first four and ninth. And so you can kind of spread the workload and, um, you know, and the organization at a more manageable scale where you've got, you know, eight teams at a, at a location in those eight different sites. And so the, the biggest difference by far and away is just the logistics and operational side of this to have all 68 teams in one location. We're using four different hotels. Uh, we're using a convention center connected to those hotels. We'll have uh, 12 different practice courts, team meeting rooms for all 68 teams. That's the controlled environment in downtown Indianapolis that um, that only uh, travel party, official travel party members will will be part of. Uh, they're tier one individuals being tested on a daily basis. No others uh, in that controlled environment and no ability for those individuals that are in it to leave and come back in. So, you know, that that that's the biggest logistical challenge. And then, of course, the six different competition venues that will uh, you know, pr- provide transportation uh, to and from the the housing location in downtown Indianapolis. But that's by far and away the largest challenge. I think once we get beyond the first and second rounds and we have 16 teams remaining, the man- it'll be a little more manageable, a little more like the size of a regional or a super regional maybe if it was in baseball. But that, that, that first week will be uh, complicated for sure. The traditional schedule of the tournament, it's a little slate modified in terms of the days that you're competing on. Um, what went into that decision, which was announced recently, and how much communication with your TV partners was needed to go forth with that schedule? Yeah, first and foremost, it was our medical advisory committee that, that um, determined what we needed to do with the schedule in order to keep everybody safe and, and healthy and have a high confidence that we could start the tournament successfully and see it through to its conclusion. So with that came the seven days of daily testing prior to arriving in Indianapolis and their determination that if we did that, then um, competition could start after a, a quarantine period of about 24 hours upon arrival in Indianapolis and then a couple of days uh, or so of team practice and preparation that the earliest we could start the event would be on Thursday. Uh, as you know, normally we start first four on Tuesday, just 48 hours after the announcement of the field. But 
because of testing requirements and, and having that modified quarantine period of about 24 hours between two PCR tests that will then allow teams to go on and, and prepare for their first game, it wasn't practical or feasible to have the tournament start any earlier than Thursday. Once we knew that, then we went to our TV partners and said, okay, with this parameter in place, what's the schedule that makes sense for television? Um, we also had to take into consideration availability of, of venues. Bankers Life Fieldhouse, for example, we're using both first and second rounds and regionals. And we only had a limited number of days that we had that facility available, thanks to the generosity of the Pacers Sports Entertainment Group. But uh, So it was, it was a, a puzzle, but it all started with, with the medical advisory group and then went to facilities and our television partners to set up the, the, the schedule. Obviously, this season has been like any other. There's been difficulties almost from the tip-off through to now. How important, I guess even, I'm not sure if worried is the right way, but how? what is the NCAA's level of confidence that you'll be able to get all 68 teams selected for the tournament into your controlled environment with, in Indianapolis without any positive tests sidelining the team? Well, uh, you know, we certainly knew that this season was going to be challenging. When the date of the start of the season was put back two weeks, it was done because of uh, needing to have testing available to have a season at all. And we knew that even with that, with contact tracing, there would be disruption for teams during the season. And so there was no surprise from that standpoint. Uh, we're seeing it in the NBA now as well. We've seen it in in, in every sport that there's no way to, you know, to get through a regular season operating outside of a controlled environment or a bubble of sorts without disruption. What we're hopeful for is that by creating this controlled environment, having daily testing in advance of arrival in Indy and then daily testing in Indy, that we'll be able to identify any positive individuals, hopefully not, but if we are, then to have them isolated, taken care of medically um, for their uh, health, but then, to, you know, taken out of that environment with the, with the understanding that, you know, those that have maintained physical distancing, that have worn masks, that have followed the protocols to a T will not be impacted by, by having to quarantine at risk of, of that infection. You know, it's going to take a, a great deal of effort and discipline by every team, every official, anybody that's around um, the participating teams. So we're cautiously optimistic, but, you know, we know that there's no guarantee. And out of respect for the challenges that this virus presents, the, the message is kind of we're all in this together because the weakest link, anyone that makes a poor decision could have significant impact on that team or teams they come in contact with. So we, we are confident in the medical protocols to keep everybody safe and healthy and have uh, 67 games from start to finish in determining a national champion. But it's only as effective as the compliance and the discipline that's needed to achieve that end. And that will fall on each individual team and everybody involved with the tournament. March Madness is more than just the NCAA tournament in so many ways. There's so many conference tournaments where, and wherever they are throughout the country, they just become part of the tapestry that is the collegiate sports landscape. Obviously, there's been plenty of debate about conference tournaments and whether they'll be able to 
uh, be held in the traditional sense. I know the NCA has kind of has delayed the uh, it's modified its automatic qualifier form slightly for conferences so that they can do things in what is the best and uh, healthiest and safest way possible. How important was that for you guys at the NCA part of the, in the central location for the men's basketball committee to say, look, conference tournaments are important, but we're not going to make you. We're not going to force you to play if you don't think it's going to be healthy uh, uh, in, a, in a healthy way. Yeah, you know, it's always the conference tournaments and the determination of the automatic qualifier has always been the auspices of the conferences. They have a chance every year to decide whether it's going to be their conference tournament champion or the regular season champion. If it is the conference tournament champion, what the size of their tournament field is and the format and the location. And the committee spent considerable time discussing whether they're they should weigh in in some kind of formal or informal way uh, in this environment. And ultimately, they decided that wasn't uh, the appropriate thing to do, that these are still local decisions by institutions and conferences about how the automatic qualifier is determined and how best to prepare for the NCAA tournament. And, and as we've seen, as this pandemic has been managed at the local level, every place is different. And so we've had some conferences that have moved the location of their tournament. We've had some conferences that have altered the format of their tournament, and they should all have the, you know, the authority and autonomy to do so. What the tournament committee and the, and the tournament can't kind of control what happens before, only upon you know, inclusion and arrival and, and, and throughout, and that'll be our responsibility. What happens beforehand really has to be managed at the local or conference level. How much are you looking forward to tip off in Indianapolis for that first four game? And how long of a road has it been to when you are able, to hopefully, to be able to see that and see the tournament get underway? I'm more looking forward to tip off the national championship game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's where the anxiety will start to ease. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's been literally since March 12th of last year when the tournament for 2020 was canceled that we've been, you know, thoughtful and planning for a successful 2021 tournament and um so it will all be pleased to get to that first tip-off but the challenges will continue i mean you know it, this is all from our staff standpoint the committee is about executing a solid game plan right now and that'll have to continue all the way through april 5th at 9 20 p.m and thereafter getting teams even safely back to campus and home after a champion is determined so Still a lot of work and anxiety ahead, but we, we feel good about the planning and, um, and are, are hopeful uh, and, and optimistic that it's going to be a great tournament. What will being able to hold this year's tournament mean for the NCAA? And is there anything that this year that you may have found you could utilize going forward in a post-pandemic uh, NCAA sports landscape? Well, first and foremost, for the student-athletes who are going to play in, in this tournament and in all NCAA championships this year, it'll be very gratifying to have them have that opportunity uh, because, you know, the disappointment and devastation that, that the student athletes had last year, not being able to compete, I think will be with us forever, certainly with me. And, and so just being able to provide that opportunity for student athletes that have made some sacrifices this year and, and are you know anxious to be part of this great event will be very gratifying. It obviously has larger, you know, ramifications for our organization and membership and our, and our broadcast partners and, and everyone else involved. It's a significant event for our country and a significant event, um, you know, financially for all of our institutions in the NCAA. But it's really all of that. And, and, um, and 
you know, as far as post pandemic, uh, you know, be curious to see, uh, you know, whether some elements of this modified schedule, albeit small, um, are things that might make sense to consider in the future. I'm particularly interested and excited about having the Sweet 16 games on Saturday and Sunday in, in exclusive uh, windows where their games aren't overlaying each other. I think it sets up to be a really spectacular weekend of college basketball if we're fortunate enough to have great games um, then leading into Monday and Tuesday night's Elite Eight doubleheaders. So things like that, we'll, you know, we'll assess, we'll, like we do after every tournament, uh, we'll assess everything that we've had to adjust uh, as a result of the pandemic and see if there are things that even post-pandemic make the event better. And we'll consider those if, that, if that's the case. Well, no matter who's in the tournament, I'm sure that the millions of people will be watching and uh, enjoying the actions from Indianapolis and all of the different sites throughout the state of Indiana. Dan Gavitt from the NCA, thank you for joining us today here on the Sports Travel Podcast. Matt, it's great being with you. Be well. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all of your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Matt Traub for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.